Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino. Now, here's your host, Dave Wyman. Hey, welcome to Hawks Live. We're here at the Snoqualmie Casino, Dave Wyman, and i got Ray Roberts with me tonight. Ray, well, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, dude. I, I, yeah. was, I was telling uh, uh, NASA, our producer here, uh, good thing I left my house really early because in my brain, I was thinking Tulalip. And I, got, and I got pretty far <laughs> on my way. And, and I realized I was going the wrong direction. No, no, no. So I'm it's glad I was able to make it. Snoqualmie Casino. Uh, <laughs> you, you're going to love this place, Ray. They are so good to us here. And a beautiful restaurant, Vista, over there. Really good food. And uh, it's not that far to get up here, right? You get past Issaquah, it's like 10 minutes. Yeah, you know, I've, I've driven past here a few times because I have buddies that live out here in Fall City and stuff. But I've never been in the casino itself. So it's, it was good to get down in here. And it's kind of in the cut a little bit, went off the road. Like, yep. so back in the, back in the, you know, where I grew up in the hood, we call that, it's kind of in the cut a little bit. And so cut? Kinda, yeah, because it's down, it's kind of off the road, like, a little bit off the beaten path a little bit, so it's kind of in the cut a little gotcha. bit. Gotcha. I got myself a new term now. I like that. <laughs> All right, Ray, coming off, uh, it was a nice trip out to Atlanta. That place is beautiful, by the way. Yeah. The Mercedes-Benz uh, Stadium, and Seahawks jumped out to a 24 nothing lead at halftime and let him get back in the game a little bit. But uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you, first of all, 4-0 on the road, it's the first time in 39 years. Well, you know, the, the thing that's pretty cool about that is, and uh, I know that you guys have talked about it on your show a little bit, too, is like the few years ago when it was just like they couldn't win on the road and they were going through all of these different things to figure out how to win on the road, when they're going to leave, how long they're going to stay, like yeah. you know, when they're going to leave for the game, what bus they're going to ride, all these different things to try to figure it out. And now it seems like they figured it out. And yeah. uh, even, even making a little uh, tweak to it this year where everyone gets on the same bus Right. And gets over to the game. And so uh, whatever that means or whatever that has done for the psyche and for them to be able to get their biorhythms together on the road, they've been able to do it. But also they have, I think they have the type of team, the type of play that travels well. Mm. I mean, they, they don't throw the ball a ton. You know, they throw it enough. They run and they play just bend but don't break defense. So to me it just kind of, it kind of suits itself for being able to be successful on the road. You know, it's funny. The 10 a.m. time slot is what we used to always worry about. Yep. I remember when the uh, the schedule would come out in 2012, 13. Well, and certainly before that, you go, oh, man, look at these trips. And the NFL is, you know, really jobbing mm-hmm. us with these, you know, start times. And now we don't even talk about it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, I mean, it's like they, uh, whatever they did to kind of crack the code yeah. around how to get themselves ready to win on the road. Uh, they've been able to do it, and so you know this year, like like you said, they have a, a better road on, a record on the road than they have at home, and so uh, that bodes well going down the stretch because this team tends to get better the second half of the season. Even Pete was talking about that at the press conference yeah. after the game a little bit, and was saying that this is now the beginning of the end for them, like beginning yeah. to the end of the season, the second half. They tend to get better, so if they can uh, increase their play, win their share of games on the road, I mean, and and at home, uh, I have I have. I feel good about where they are right now. Yeah, to that, well, I'm glad to hear that, Ray, because yeah. there's been lots of hand-wringing over the 6-2 and two team. <laughs> I, I was asked right. earlier today, like, uh, what, what's your most positive takeaway uh, from this team? I'm like, we're 6-2, and two, right? Man. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's one thing. Uh, real quick, uh, we're going to get an opponent preview from Greg Allman from The Athletic. That's coming up at 7.15 in the next segment. And then we're going to talk to, Ray and I are going to talk to tight end Jacob Hollister, who I've interviewed before. Great, 
great guy and good tight end, really fast, uh, almost like a receiver. John Clayton at 7.45. At 8.15, we're going to go inside the film room and t- take a look at three of the most crucial plays uh, from the game against Atlanta. And then Taylor Jacobs, our own Taylor Jacobs, is going to interview and play video games against rookie L.J. Collier. So, uh, Ray, I'm glad you're here this week because one of the things that people are wringing their hands over is the injury to Justin Britt. Right. And certainly a really big one for – he's a very important – as far as uh, – you know, getting the offense right mm-hmm. and, you know, the offensive line and he's the connection with the quarterback and with Russell Wilson, having him go down probably, I don't know, maybe the most key player on that offensive line. Well, well, the other thing, too, about Justin is that if you think about it with, uh, I think this was like probably the seventh or eighth year in a row where the starting five offensive line had been different at the beginning of the season than it was a year before. Yeah. But the one consistent has been Justin Britt. Yeah. Like he, is, he has been Russell Center for the, the last you know, five, six years, and he's kind of grown really well into the position to where they, they surrounded him with some good guard play, so it also elevated his play. He's a big body, big athletic dude, smart dude. And so when he goes down, it's almost like, uh, like part of your control centers, part of your communication system goes down with it. So I know we showed up here today, like maybe there's some issues with like the, the Wi-Fi and all that kind of stuff. Well, when Justin Brick goes down, hey, something's going on with the Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi goes <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so, but luckily you have a guy like Hunt who is not as big, not as athletic and all that, but he's just as smart. He yeah. kind of knows where to go, where to direct the offense to, uh, how to get people in the right uh, in the right place. And Russell's very familiar with him. He's been around for a long time. So Justin Britt, like obviously Hunt doesn't replace everything that he brings to the table, and, and I think it's going to be a challenge this week. Uh, but they have they have someone that can that can hold it together, and as long as he leans on those two guards. Uh, I think he can. I think it'll be okay in the middle. Yeah, I always say how smart Joey Hunt is, and somebody asked me, "Well, what makes you think that?" I'm like, "Well, he plays all three positions. Yeah. We've seen him play tackle, and same thing with Justin Britt. He started as a mm-hmm. right tackle's rookie year. I thought he played well, and then they moved him inside to guard, and not so good there. But then once they put him at center, uh, everything just clicked for him. So yeah, uh, the thing about that, Dave, is a lot of people to always say that the offensive line is like the most misunderstood position in all of sports because most people think it's just big dudes pushing on big dudes. They don't understand like the technique that it takes. They don't understand like you just saying for a guy to be able to play all those different positions, the intelligence that it takes to do that. Even if you're like you may think like it's the same if you're if you go from left tackle to right tackle, you're playing tackle, it should be the same. But like your power angles are different. Like sure. the, your, the, the way you kind of see the field and visualize the field is different. So unless you've been doing that your whole career, it's really hard to switch sides like that, which then speaks to Jamarco Jones, who had never played guard before and then started a whole game, a couple games at guard, and then last week slid in, slid in at left guard when Upati went out, right. and he was taking snaps at center uh, this year, uh, uh, last week, and he played four years at tackle in college. So it takes a whole lot of intelligence, athletic ability, and just understanding and knowledge of what what needs to get done and how it needs to be communicated to be able to do that. Yeah, I, I think you finally got me talked into that offensive linemen are pretty smart, Ray. Well, I appreciate I always it, think I've, been, I've known you for a long time. I've been at it. I've been chipping away at it since 1992. <laughs> I always like to say linebackers are the smartest. But, no, it's a lot goes into that. And I'm always very impressed by that because, you know, playing those different positions nowadays – Guys will say, well, it's you know not that big of a deal. I always thought it was a huge deal going from like a 3-4 to a 4-3. Yeah. You know, you're just looking at uh, 
the game differently, you know, whether it's on the left side, the right side, and I think it's a bigger deal than some of the guys let on now. But, you know, with Joey Hunt, hopefully he's got a good connection uh, with Russell Wilson. And, well, we got a lot of th- things to get through, but uh, I think we got to try to get to this guy, Greg Allman, for an opponent preview because it's probably late where he is. It's probably 10 o'clock, and he's uh, <laughs> wanting to get some sleep. But uh, we're going to talk to him next on Hawks Live It's Greg Allman from The Athletic. He'll give us a preview of Tampa Bay. That's next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. We're here at the Snoqualmie Casino, Ray Roberts and Dave Wyman. And right now we're going to get an opponent preview from Greg Allman. He writes for The Athletic. Greg, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. I hope you guys are doing well. Doing great, and happy Halloween, by the way. And uh, did you dress up tonight? Thank you. Uh, any any costume for you tonight? We're dressed up as broadcasters <laughs> Kids here. Kids did really well. Uh, it's like we're, we're just done here, so I guess you guys are just getting started out there. But uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, good time and uh, nice weather, so it was good. All right, Greg, I guess my first question is uh, Jameis Winston. I, I just want to hear what kind of a guy he is. I, I watched him on Hard Knocks. I ended up really liking him. I think his heart's in the right place. But I guess the, the word I would use for him is he's a little bit reckless, like maybe a gunslinger. He's got 70 interceptions in four and a half years. How is the whole thing with Byron Leftwich and Bruce Arians? How's the project going that is Jameis Winston? Yeah, unfortunately, it's still kind of inconsistent. Um, I think they had hoped to kind of turn a corner, uh, get him a little bit steadier, a little bit more reliable. So you you had uh, three games where the turnovers are really a problem. Um, he's got 13 turnovers in those games, um, and that's the loss to the 49ers, the loss to the Panthers in London, and then the Titans this past week. But then you have four games where he's played really well. Um, his passer rating's been over 100. I think he has two interceptions total in those four games. So you just don't know which Jameis you're going to get. If you could get the ones from week two through five on a consistent basis, that's what they're looking for. Unfortunately, you you get the guy that had six turnovers against Carolina and four turnovers last week against Tennessee. So it's it's hard to know who he's going to be. Uh, Greg, this is uh, Ray Roberts here with with Dave. Uh, I had a couple questions. The first one is – the defensive side of the ball seems to be the the same as as Jameis Winston. They're up and down, and they are really solid against the run, but not as well against the pass. Uh, so, what accounts for that? Is it the pass rush? Is it the secondary? You know, what accounts for them being a good run defenders? And then, and then, secondly, like, what is the ceiling of for this team for this year? Yeah, I mean, right now, overall, I think there's a disappointment. I think they'd hope to be better than two and five right now. Um, you know, to get Bruce Arians out of retirement. Um, you know, he had a pretty good turnaround in Arizona his first year there. Took a team that was five and eleven, and got them ten and six. So I think the hope, even though the Bucks, you know, haven't had a year where they're that good in quite a while here, um, was that they could do that. They could have a quick fix and really make a difference. You know, not with a huge ton of changes in personnel, and mostly just on the coaching side. And it hasn't been there yet. Um, they're two and five, and there's two games where. You know, they lost to the Giants. That's a game they like to have back. They basically just missed a field goal at the buzzer on that one. And then had the lead in the fourth quarter Sunday in Tennessee and couldn't hold on. So right now, I think the overwhelming feeling, feeling is that of missed opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. Now, they've won games they shouldn't. Um, they went out to Los Angeles and beat the Rams. So if you've done that, it's not 
entirely crazy to think they could go out to Seattle and get a win. Um, you asked about the defense, and, and it's weirdly lopsided. They're maybe the NFL's best defense against the run. They're one of the league's worst against the pass. Um, they've got a young secondary. Um, they haven't probably gotten the pressure they need to make life easier for young defensive backs. So you had a lot of quarterbacks that have kind of been able to carve them up and move the ball and move the chains. Um, and that's, that's going to be a work in progress. Um, the hope is that it's a young secondary and that they'll grow into it. And by the second half of the season, they'll start playing the way they want. But right now it, it's definitely problematic. And to see a quarterback like Russell Wilson that doesn't make a lot of mistakes and is really smart with the football, that, that's not going to help things on Sunday. We're talking to Greg Allman from The Athletic. Uh, tell me about the, the, the culture and tell us about Bruce Arians. He's, he's always been a guy, a little bit of a mystery. I know that some he's not super popular here in Seattle because he's come up here and beat us four out of five times uh, when he was with Arizona. And a couple of times he said he was going to come up and do it. I think, did he say something this week, Greg, about coming up to Seattle and beating the Seahawks? I thought I heard something like that. No, he didn't. And we... <laughs> We kind of wondered about that because, you know, the last time in 17, his last game with the Cardinals was in Seattle. And they kind of caught him in the locker room after the previous game saying, we're going up to our home field. Um, and he kind of, like, apologized for that and said, well, at the time he said, you know, that's something that was meant for the locker room, not meant for the other team. But then, you know, after he won up there, again, this is the last week of 17, I think he opened his presser by saying, thanks for coming to my, my house. So, I mean, I think he's enjoyed that. Um, and to his credit, I think he's been smart not to say anything close to that. Um, you know, just said he enjoys the atmosphere. Um, said it's like a soccer crowd because it never really lets up. Lots of noise throughout. Really enjoys the environment. Thinks that his team could even feed off the energy of, of playing at CenturyLink on Sunday. So, no, he was very uh, reverential and polite and respectful. Probably a smart thing to do. It's one thing if you got bulletin board material from two years ago. It's another if you got bulletin board material from Wednesday. <laughs> That's right. Hey, Greg, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, Shaquille Barrett? Like uh, he he kind of popped on the scene. It was a little bit quiet as the season started, but he had one game where he had four sacks and another game where he had three sacks. Has ten for the season. Uh, where where has that production come from, and uh, what what has kind of clicked for him uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Yeah, it's been a while. Um, Shaq's a good story. You know, kind of a, a long time back up in Denver. You know, stuck behind some really good pass rushers and guys like Vaughn Miller and Demarcus Ware, and then even Chubb this last year there. And the Bucks got him cheap, uh, one year, four million dollars. I think the Bengals were the only other team that really expressed an interest in free agency, um, and they did well. I mean, I think they identified him as somebody that would do well given a larger role. Um, like you said, had two great games in September. Was the NFC Defensive Player of the Month. Um, you know, I think they've caught on to him a little bit. Now, I think he had nine sacks in his first four games, now has one in his last three. But, I mean, he was a big part of that win in Los Angeles. Had an interception in the game, had a sack fumble that turned into a touchdown to kind of clinch it. So, no, he's been really impressive, and I think getting Jason Pierre-Paul back, they just got him mm. back from a neck injury last week. Um, having the two of them, I think it helps, and that you can't really key on one or try and take one out, because if you put too much attention on one, the other one's going to go make plays. So with, with Pierre-Paul uh, been in the mix, will, that, would, will they slide um, Ndamukong Sue inside a little bit more? Because uh, I know he was playing kind of on the edge a little bit, and uh, uh, Vita Vea was kind of holding down the middle. Right, yeah, it's kind of a strange deal. They, they run a 3-4, so I mean, they, they like rotating Sue and Vea 
uh, one that knows one outside, that kind of thing. And then Pierre Paul, you know, they can use as an end when they're a nickel. They can use him as an outside linebacker in their base defense. So they try and move him around a fair amount. Um, they, they've kind of stuck him out wide. When they're in nickel, Pierre Paul can even go inside and be a nickel rusher from inside. So the idea, I think, is that you, you kind of have all these movable parts. And ideally, if you keep moving them around, it's harder to line up double teams. It's harder to, to know where the attack is coming from. So, yeah, they, they've done well. Their front seven is probably what they do best right now. Um, it hasn't generated a, a crazy amount of sacks beyond Barrett. I think they have maybe five or six sacks from guys that aren't Shaq Barrett. Um, but like I said, getting pressure, you know, it'll be a huge part of any success they want to have is, is getting Russell Wilson kind of off balance and, and uncomfortable and not giving him time to, to pick that secondary apart. We're talking to Greg Allman from the athletic down in Tampa Bay. Um, I've been a huge fan of Levante David for, for a while. And it's funny, you know, in the NFL, we all know this, you, you look every week, oh, the team's two and five, they're one and six. Then you start looking at baller 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 i'm looking at dominican sue shaq barrett uh devin white who's the first round draft choice but greg tell us uh who's a guy that maybe not a frontline name that uh that really stands out to you and seahawk fans should watch out for yeah you know they've got a lot of young defensive backs that they're really starting to trust in bigger roles so uh there's a kid named sean murphy bunting who was a second round draft pick uh out of central michigan um, kind of an unknown, played on a you know one-win team last year, was their second-round pick. And, and he's starting to get a little bit of momentum. He, he had barely played at all in the first month of the season, and they kind of moved him in as the nickel. And then he had even swapped out and was playing some outside corner. Um, had one interception against the Saints, but really hasn't had a big splash yet. But he's a guy that they really like. Um, I think he's going to come, you know, start becoming a guy that's almost an every-down player for them. Uh, playmaker in college, good speed, good size. Uh, that's somebody I would definitely watch if they're going to have any kind of success, you know, containing the the, the Seahawks passing game. Um, they've got to trust their corners, and, and he'll be a big part of that. So, so Greg, as you look at uh, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense against Seattle's defense, and Seattle hasn't quite generated the pass rush and pressures and sacks that they've that they have liked it as well. And so, you have on the outside Mike Evans and uh, Chris. Uh, is it Goodwin? How how do you see Godwin, them matching yeah. up against uh, Seattle secondary? Because they they've I mean in all the inconsistency in the up and down they've they've kind of had really good years so far. Yeah, I mean both guys are in the top five I think in receiving yards per game. Yeah. They're tied for the NFL leading touchdowns. Um, they're the two guys that have really clicked well, and I think they've fed off each other. Um, when Mike Evans gets a lot of coverage, it leaves Chris Godwin open. Uh, last week it was like Godwin probably got a little more coverage. I think Mike Evans had 198 yards and two touchdowns going into the fourth quarter last week. So um, they present a challenge because it's, it's two, basically, guys that are playing like number one receivers. So as long as Jameis has the time to get it to him, um, they're usually good for, I think they're both pretty much at 100 yards a game right now. What the Bucks would like to do is get somebody else that can step up either as a number three receiver. Um, their tight ends are pretty dinged up this week. I don't think you'll see O.J. Howard. You might not even see Cameron Braid. Uh, so the tight ends won't be nearly the threat they usually are. And that probably means, honestly, that they lean on those two even more on Sunday. Well, Greg, we really appreciate your time. We'll let you get to bed there and uh, hope to see you up here in Seattle on Sunday. Outstanding. Looking forward to it. And thank you guys again for having me on. All right. Thank you. There he goes, Greg Allman from The Athletic. Well, coming up next, 
Ray and I will talk to tight end Jacob Hollister. That's next, right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. Dave Wyman and Ray Roberts. And we got on the phone tight end Jacob Hollister. Jacob, thanks for joining us, man. Oh, yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, are you getting any trick-or-treaters there at your house? <laughs> I'm not. I'm in a uh, apartment complex, so uh, I put a put a bowl out just in case just in case some kids come alive. But I don't think there's too many. Okay, there you go. Well, by the way, what's the cutoff for trick or treating in your mind? I was asked that today. I got two kids. What what is it? Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen? What do you think? Oh man, depends. I don't even want to say how late I was going. But uh, <laughs> no, I th- yeah, I think it's right up there. I feel like I feel like high school is when people stop doing it. Yeah, and you went to high school down in Bend, Oregon, right? And made your way yes, to, to Wyoming, and just to get to know you, I talked to you the other day. You also have a twin brother. I do. How strange yeah, is we, that? Uh, I actually, yeah, because we went to Nevada out of high school together, and then we went to Arizona Western Junior College together also. And then from there, I, I uh, got the offer to Wyoming, and he got an offer to Arkansas, so that's when we split up. Yeah. Now, is he on a team currently? I, th- I know he was maybe on a practice squad or something. Or yeah, he is. He's he's with the Titans. Um, and yeah, the past two years we were with the Patriots actually together. And then he uh, he just signed with the Titans uh, this past spring when I got traded over here. That's great. Hey, uh, uh, Jacob, we were talking earlier about <clears throat> when you play on the offensive line and you're asked to switch positions from guard to tackle tackle the center, guard the center, left to right side, like all the intelligence and, and the adjustments and athleticism it takes to do that. Well, the, the tight end position is like the super Swiss army knife. So can you, can you talk yeah. to us about the mindset of, of a tight end? Because sometimes you're blocking monstrous defensive ends. Sometimes you, if it's in some offenses you're asked to trap a, a, a defensive tackle, then you're having to block linebackers, you have to run pass routes, catch the ball, get tackled. Like, what is the mindset of a tight end to be able to prepare yourself for all those different duties? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think you said it pretty well. Um, I think that, you know, as a tight end, especially when you're, when you're learning a play in general, <clears throat> you generally want to learn the whole concept. So, um, you know, not only tight ends, but receivers and, and other positions also, but I think especially as a tight end, you want to be really aware of of what everybody's doing on the play because you know that you could be plugged in at a lot of different spots, whether it's split out as a receiver or in line as a tight end or, or in the backfield, whatever it is. So I think that kind of like you said, you want to um, be a Swiss Army knife of a player and, and really have a good idea of, of the whole play and the design of it because you know that you could be plugged in in a lot of different areas. We're talking to Jacob Hollister, tight end for the Seahawks, and uh, seems like a pretty cool room. I know Will Disley. I'm not sure if he is he still coming in for meetings because I know he yeah, had his yeah. surgery. Yeah, Will's still around, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Ed Dixon I've spoken to a number of times, really cool guy, but also you got Luke Wilson in there. Are you guys a tight group there? Oh, for sure, yeah. Because obviously, uh, you know, we had the injury to Will and, and Nick before he Nick before he got traded also. I was pretty close to him. But, yeah, that's one thing I love about, about our room. We're all really close, um, really good group of guys. We just, you know, obviously with a guy like, like Lou, too, he keeps it, really, keeps it really fun in there, which is good for me sometimes, kind of uh, taking myself too serious sometimes. So, 
he yeah. uh, he keeps it fun for sure, and I, I had that over in New England with Gronk too. So uh, it's nice having that, definitely. Oh, that's right. You, he went from Gronk to Luke Wilson. Pretty pretty similar as far as guys a little a little <laughs> off oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, it's J- been some great personalities. <laughs> hey, Jacob, like. Uh, Talk us through what, what you would say at this point of your career and what you bring to the Seahawks offense. What is probably your, your greatest strength? And then what is maybe not a weakness, but something that you're working on and developing? Yeah, uh, I'd say, um, you know, my, my greatest strength, I think, as a football player in general is just my versatility and uh, athleticism and ability to do a lot of different things. Um, you know, whether that's route running. Um, you know, route running is something that I've – uh, spent a lot of time on. I've tried to I've tried to learn from a lot of different guys throughout my career to this point, um, and I haven't had you know a ton of receptions to this point in my career. But I feel like I've I've definitely had a lot of you know help from from veterans around me and coaches along the way, where uh, it's just helped me out a lot. And uh, you know I'm hoping that I get a chance to show that more you know here in the future in the near future. And um, but yeah, when it comes to you know things I need to work on and, and things that really has been great about me being here and, and coming to Seattle is, um, you know, obviously you want to be an all-around tight end, and I feel like my blocking uh, has improved a lot since I got here. Um, you know, technique and, and want to is a big, big factor in blocking. Uh, so, you know, worked on my technique and, and all that uh, is just something that the coaches have been great, great about here, and uh, just getting more and more experience in that area has been awesome. All right, we're talking to tight end Jacob Hollister, and I, I got to ask you this, Jacob. And I know that that Seahawk fans want the answer to this t- question to be he's the devil, okay? <laughs> but the the question is, Bill Belichick, and you can keep know. it short. Yeah, you already knew that was coming. But what kind of uh, what kind of coach? Tell uh, the fans what kind of coach Bill Belichick is. Man, he's I think he's a lot different um, than you would think. He's you know he's he definitely puts out a, a certain persona uh, in the media, but that's definitely not uh, who he really is. He's a lot more down to earth, um, really personable guy uh, to his players and, and to the other coaches and all of his staff. So uh, he really is, you know, a great guy to to play for, and um, you know he does things a certain way. And but he's not fake about anything. He's he's very real about it. And so I think that you know his players and, and staff always respect that. Damn it! I was really hoping for the devil, but uh, no. Everybody here in Seattle, of course. And then talk about Pete Carroll, and you know, are they really that different? Because I think everybody says they're totally different, but behind the scenes, yeah, you know, maybe that's not as it appears. Yeah, I mean, I think at first glance you think like these guys are are just completely different, and um, you know, in a lot of ways they obviously are the way that they present themselves. Um, but I think that there's also a lot of similarities. I feel like, you know, you see two guys who are very, very passionate about what they do and, and they put the team first and everything that they, that they do and what they want to achieve. And um, just both really respectable coaches. And, uh, you know, I get the feeling, the same feeling from being at both. You have, you have coaches that you want to play uh, really hard for, that you just have a lot of respect for. Uh, and I just get that feeling here with Coach Pete, too, is, you know, you have a guy who puts – puts everything into it and he puts you know everything that he has into the game and into his players uh, and, and the staff and the whole uh, organization so that makes you you know as a player really motivated and, and you respect that a lot and you just want to 
uh, play hard for your coach. Hey, Jacob, you know, for a lot of uh, listeners out there, there's, there's young dudes that are playing football and they're watching the games and, and maybe there's someone out there that wants to be, you know, a, a Jacob uh, Hollister. Like, speak to us about, like, what is it like, you know, do you ever have moments when you drive up to, to uh, VMAC and you go like, wow, like, I'm a, I'm a Seahawk, I'm an NFL football player. And then do you ever have those moments like in a game when you walk into the stadium and you hear the crowd and, and the noise and the introductions and all those types of things? Like, what is it, what is it like sometimes when, you, when, you, when the reality of that is hitting you all at the same time? Yeah, you know, I think that's, that's one of those things that I have to be reminded of, um, you know, as I'm walking on the field. And I think at the beginning of the year when I wasn't active, uh, that's something that I was reminded of is just how fortunate I am to be in this situation. And um, I was able to go, go back home after our Thursday night game and, and watch uh, my high school team over at Mountain View High School. And, you know, that brought me back down to reality too. And I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm so fortunate and blessed to be in this situation that I'm in because, you know, I was, I was there under the Friday night lights and, and just wishing and praying to be in this situation one day. And, and here I am. So, just such a blessing um and it, it definitely takes you know family members or friends to kind of mention that to you sometimes and keep your head on track just just realizing man you're in you're in this situation that a lot of people would kill to be in and and it's so true it's just i mean getting to play football for your job is just uh it's incredible and, and catching passes from russell wilson like who, yeah, like who man. wouldn't want to to do that you know what i'm saying oh so, sure yeah. yeah, no question, man. I've been I've been lucky uh, with the in the quarterback department for sure. My career <laughs> yeah, so you have. Yeah. You're a little <laughs> spoiled there, Jacob. Yeah, no question. Well, yeah, hey, definitely. coming coming definitely. from two ex players, I love hearing that you appreciate it that much. That that's really cool, and uh, we're really glad to have you here in Seattle. And and good luck this weekend, Jacob. Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. All thanks, right, thanks, Jacob. buddy. There he goes, Jacob Hollister. What a what a great kid! We we had a longer interview with him, and uh, you know having a twin brother and just all the stuff that he you know he was saying about like Tom Brady, just a regular guy. Yeah. You know everybody wants to think about him as a somebody different, but uh, really a good addition to to the offense. Well, coming up next, we're gonna talk to the professor, and he's gonna cover all things NFL. That's next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. Dave Wyman and Ray Roberts. Ray Roberts filling in admirably. He can fill in for two guys. That's how good Ray is, John. Uh, we've got Michael Bumpus and, uh, and Paul Moyer out here usually, and we only need one Ray Roberts to replace those two guys. Well, see, he played one of the five most important positions because... Sorry to say this, Dave, but when you look at the oh, hierarchy no of how guys are paid, I mean, you pay quarterbacks, you pay wide receivers and cornerbacks, you pay pass rushers, and Ray Roberts, the left tackle. You know, I appreciate the shout out there, John. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, like just how important that position is. And oh, so, stop it. That's enough. You know, I like talking offensive line play, but I particularly like talking about left tackles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because well, I mean, is. honestly, it's like. We, we can talk about the value of linebackers, and the value is certainly there. I mean, you can see it with Bobby Wagner, Luke Keekley, all those good different guys. But it, nevertheless, the guys that get paid are the five positions, and unfortunately, it's not necessarily the middle linebacker. It's not nope. necessarily the inside linebacker. It's nope. going to be one of the top five left tackle. 
Yep, yes, and it's not the interior of the line. So basically what it is, the guy's on the edge. Yeah. You're right. You know, and that's the thing. You know, the hash marks are so close together. You've got wide side on every on both sides, and those guys that play out on that edge are the most athletic freaks in the world. And I always try to figure out, who do you think, John? I'll ask you too, Ray. Who are more athletic, defensive ends or wide receivers? Those are both, like, places where... You right. get like a Julio yeah. Jones, or you know, you uh, get Jadavian like a Jadavian Clowney. Clowney. Exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. it's it's wide receivers because I mean, you got guys that can be four, three, forty guys. You're not going to see that on the offensive line. But just go to Walter Walter Jones. I mean, Walter Jones, you know, certainly one of the most athletic offensive tackles you're ever going to find and you know the fact that he had such great training when he was in high school to a point where they you know they put a a, a bus or something like that that we'd have to pull. But uh, you know, ultimately, the wide receivers have to be a little bit more athletic. But as far as just the whole ability to do things, the left tackle is so valuable. John, I'm just going to say one little thing. You kind of like giggled a little bit when you said like the receivers run the 4-3 and then you went, ha, 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 the tackles can't do that. Can't do like that. A, like, uh, obviously I can't run a 4-3, John, but you know, at 300 pounds. How about 30 yards you can run a 4-3? Well, I mean, I could, I could dunk a basketball any kind of way I wanted to at 330 pounds. I have to, <laughs> I have to block some of the best athletic people in the mm-hmm. world, as Dave just said, go, as I'm going backwards. Like, that takes a lot of talent and skill to do. Speaking See, of the- John, you know, you give him an inch and he takes a mile, right? <laughs> I, I do. But, John, speaking of, of the edge, right, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with bringing in Clowney and having Anza, uh, and now Darren Reed is in the mix. I know Anza's been a little nicked up. And uh, there, there was all types of data and stuff out now about pr- pressures and sacks and sack rate and all that kind of stuff. D- D- Clowney is, like, has one of the top uh, uh, pass rush win rates, but it's not necessarily transfer translating into to maybe even pressures or sacks how do how does like how do you make sense of all of that for Seahawks defense and especially their their pass rush well, what you make sense of is you look at all the numbers and all the numbers say that Javadavian Clowney is one of the top six or seven edge rushers in football because he may only have two sacks but he's got all the pressures he's got the knockdowns he's got the all the different things that you need and he's right up there and so he's living up to his part, and plus he's one of the most double-teamed guys in the National Football League. All right, so what you don't see, you don't see those numbers coming from uh, Ziggy Ansah. And after two games, you're not seeing the inside pressure coming from Jaron Reed. Those things have to develop. Clowney's doing his part. I mean, Clowney is playing, uh, and again, maybe ultimately when you look at Clowney, he's not a 10-11 sack guy. But he's a guy that right now is so good at the edge that he's one of the best in football and the guy that's almost like a generational type of guy. He was the first pick in the draft, and you look at, okay, so he doesn't have 13, 14 sacks. He doesn't have the 13 sacks of Frank Clark. But what you look at with Clowney, all the things that he does, he's really good. And it's like he's a guy that they need to resign. I agree, John. I think also you look at how he plays against the run. Not only that, you know, batted down passes, got an interception for a touchdown. He gets, he draws lots of holding penalties. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so do you, I, I guess he doesn't really have the numbers, maybe, uh, yet anyway, to, to make the Pro Bowl. But what about Pro Bowl players on this team? In your mind, you know, because I'm looking at Tyler Lockett, Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson, of course, Chris mm-hmm. Carson. Maybe. Carson, I mean, yes, he's on, because he's yeah. he's the he's the best uh, after contact runner in the National Football League, and yeah. he's going to have right now probably 1,100, 1,200 yard season. So you would have to include him. 
Uh, I don't know if you include anybody on the offensive line. Clearly, you're right on Bobby Wagner. Uh, then you what have about to start Griffin. Was that Griffin? I'll tell uh, you what. I mean, he too. probably won't make it because nobody knows who he is outside of Seattle. He's yeah. playing at that level. I mean, he's challenging it because you look at the seven defense passes that he's had. You look at how tight he's been in coverage. I mean, again, he may not get the appreciation he should, but he's playing pretty close to a Pro Bowl level. Hey, John, like there's there's been a, you know, after the the win in Atlanta and the way they won, been up 24, uh, nothing at halftime, and then having Atlanta call themselves back into the game. And then the next the next week, this past week, it's just been a, it feels like a lot of, uh, like negativity around where the Seahawks are and where they're headed or what they're capable of or what the ceiling is or what the floor is or what the strength of schedule is and all these different kinds of things. But, but the, the, the one thing that I would say is that for the remaining schedule, the Seahawks actually add strength to other teams that they're playing because they're, they have a 6-2 and two record. So, mm-hmm. uh, so how, how, do you, how do you speak to, to that? Like how do, you, how do you get people so far out of the, the, the deep dive of the data – to see that you had eight games to play and you've won six of them. Yeah. Like, like how, how all of a sudden is that a bad thing and you're trying to make an argument for that it's not sustainable going forward? You know, it's not a bad thing. And sure, the second half of the season is going to be uh, tougher than the first half of the season. But I, I, I know when you start to look at the analytics, you look at the remaining games, and right now you can see them winning at least five and six. And it's like you're talking 11 or 12 wins. That's pretty good. I mean, because, uh, sure, I mean, the games have been a little bit closer than expected. Uh, they right now rank 23rd as far as yards allowed, but they're still pretty good as far as points allowed. I mean, again, 20, 25.1, and you know, a lot of that's a, the, the four touchdowns they've allowed on their returns. That's not good, whether it's been an interception return, a kickoff return, a punt return, all those different things. But overall, I mean, this team, I think, when you're talking what the record is, it's exceeded expectations. Maybe they haven't been able to do things, but it, go, it goes to the idea that right now this team's more of a bend-but-don't-break defense, and that's not mm-hmm. accustomed to here in Seattle because it's usually, okay, you're top five, you're top ten as far as defense, but right now they're accepting uh, They'll give up the yards, but they're not necessarily giving up the points. They're not, they make the key stops at the key minutes, and that's the key thing right now for this team. Yeah, and you know they're just a scrappy team. They yeah, just yeah. hang in with their opponents. The other thing I'd I'd say I was looking at. I mean, there's lots of talk about them having a weak schedule. Well, there's a lot of that going around because you look at the it's Patriots. The yeah, their uh, yeah their opponents' win percentage is like 26, mm. 260, 26 percent. And then uh, same thing with the Niners. They're like 33, 330 uh, winning percentage for their opponents. And the Seahawks are, you know, have had a tougher schedule than that. The other thing is Pete Carroll team since Bobby and I always call it ABR after Bobby and Russell. <laughs> ABR uh, since 2012, they're 44 and 17 in November, December, and January regular season games. So, you know, everything that we've known about Pete Carroll coach teams is that they get a lot better in the second half. Well, and and what we can see right now, here's where the obvious is. If they're going to be, I mean, they're they're right now a playoff team. Okay, San Francisco could be eight and zero going into the game coming up on Monday night. But overall, you're talking about a team that should be able to make the playoffs. And the key is as quick as they can get the four man rush. 
If they can get the four-man rush on defense, which San Francisco has, Seattle doesn't have right now, if they can get that, then all of a sudden they're challenging the 49ers for the division. And all, you, you, know, it's like, you notice, I'm not talking about the Rams. Right now, the Rams are on the yeah. outside looking in. Because Minnesota and Seattle right now have the best chance to get the wild card, and I don't see that changing. Yeah. Well, and it, it'll be interesting this second half. And I, I think, John, statistic, or they did, uh, they've already come out with the numbers that the Seahawks officially have the hardest schedule going forward. Yeah, I yeah, think that's what I saw. Based yeah. on, yeah, who they have to play. So, yeah, but we'll that's, see that, that's only team. because of the division. And you think about the division right now. Okay, so they got Arizona at home a 500 team, and they've got uh, San Francisco two games. And, of course, what throws it off is the fact they're undefeated. And so it's not as hard yeah. as you would think because, mm. you know, you figure Tampa Bay, losing team, Carolina, team right now that's 4-3. and three. It's not as bad as you would think. I mean, Philadelphia yeah. on the road, that could be a tough game, but they're 500. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the schedule. I can get them to 10 wins. Yeah, you know, absolutely. No, you, you can get them you, above that. Maybe you pick off a team like Carolina on the road, mm-hmm. Philadelphia on the road. So I they think won four games on the road. That's pretty positive. It's how you just said San Francisco kind of throws that out of whack because they're yeah. undefeated and you have them twice. Because yep. when you That's take right. them out of the equation, then the schedule doesn't look so hard. You have the 500 yeah. teams, a Carolina team that's trending downward. Like, so it's, it's so they don't have the toughest schedule down the stretch. I can right. tell you that right now. Yeah. And yeah. it's like nobody that an idiot like I am studies the schedule as much as I do. <laughs> well, John, if you're studying, then therefore you're not an idiot, okay? Well, so let's get well thank, thank you for the Stanford uh, approach <laughs> on it. I appreciate that. All right, Professor, thanks. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And yes. uh, thanks for being on with us. Thank you. Right, there John. he goes, the professor. Coming up next, there's a couple of interesting things we, we can talk about there, Ray. One is Jadavion Clowney, and I, I think that's an interesting discussion just because, you know, he, he does a lot more on the field, I think, than people think. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing would be who are the pro bowlers. We'll talk about the schedule a little bit. Ray Roberts and Dave Wyman up here at the Snoqualmie Casino. It's Hawks Live.